0: you're watching global trade this week with pete mento and doug draper hello everyone and welcome to what could be the greatest investment of your time all week global trade this week brought to you by our good friends at cap logistics i am pete mento and uh with me as always is the um the shrimp in my gumbo the uh the sugar in my tea the clotted cream to my scones. Doug Draper. Doug, how are you, pal?
1: Pete, I am doing awesome. It's good to be back. And we, uh, we skipped a week, which is very unusual for us. We're usually yeah. diligent on the <laughs> weekly, so uh, lots of stuff has transpired. Uh, but first, you had a, a trip in, uh, in Europe last week, so give us the lowdown. Give us the 30-second pros and cons and enjoyment.
0: Yeah, I I planned this trip back in December and I had no idea how completely off the rails Europe was going to be this week. So uh, we were in Europe. We got there um, before we were in London for a few days before the Queen's funeral. But it was just days after she had passed. And then we were there the day after her funeral but the um i can send pictures you know just the miles and miles of floral tributes and the way the city had poured out its affection for her and, and you know say whatever you want about about the royal family the the fact that that the queen was a person who, who devoted her life to public service for that long i think is impressive and that is the way that i chose to look at it. i mean what, what an incredible act of sacrifice to spend your entire life essentially living for the people that you loved. And I, I, I enjoy that very much. Um, France was, um, well, it was France and going to France with three people who don't speak French, when you're the only one that can manage is not fun, Doug. It is, uh, it is a never ending uh, attempt to explain to someone what the other person is saying. When, when the other person speaks English, and you know they speak English. They just don't want to talk to you in English. But it was wonderful. Um, the weather was incredible. Oldest got engaged. Congratulations, Hunter and Morgan. Um, and then off to Stuttgart because, um, you know, my son could have gone anywhere in Germany in the middle of Oktoberfest, but decided let's go to their version of Detroit. Uh, he is absolutely obsessed with Porsches. I've owned many of them. He loves them. So we went to the Porsche factory museum. We got to take the 911 tour. It was absolutely incredible. And then to go to the uh, Porsche museum where I just drooled. I just drooled, buddy. I drooled for three hours staring at these absolutely exquisite automobiles. Um, it was amazing. And then back to London for for five days um, of me dragging these people from place to place to make sure they got some form of culture. It was, um, it was something, Doug. Um, I spent the last three days basically hammered because I'd had enough of being the tour guide between being the only person who spoke German and the only person who spoke French and the only person who knew where the hell we were going. I just finally had it. So that was the last couple of days. Yeah,
1: that's good. Well, what did you expect, right? Going out there, taking that crew, but. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm, I expected that people in their early 20s could handle a little time alone, Doug. That's what I expected. I thought, you know, Google is here. Um, you don't have to talk to anybody to go shopping at Louis Vuitton. So just, uh, you know, do whatever you got to do. But uh, I did drink all the wine and ate all the cheeses. Uh, it made me very sick because of the diet that I've been on. So I am uh, recovering uh, as far as that goes, but I'm I'm fine. So uh, happy to be back in the States middle of football nice. season and uh to be back on the show thank you for for asking dougie yes
1: yes well it'll be a uh a a mento remake of the griswold family european vacation so oh, but, God. but the good news is that keenan can throw up some picks if you want to toss them up there Well
0: i can i i absolutely could yeah that'd be a lot of fun actually yeah 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 so so what do you got for us doug you're going first this week what's the first topic pal
1: all right, man. We're gonna kick this thing off, um, and it was a topic that I that popped up last week that I thought was still important enough to to roll over. You know what, Pete? When I was looking at topic, I'm like, oh my god, one week off. There's just a lot of stuff that is missed, right? I'm like, I've got to talk about this. I got to talk about that. I got to talk about this. Um, but I'm gonna to stick to uh, to the plan from from last week and, and dribble in a little thing at, at halftime. But this is really about Amazon double downing. Uh, on being a true logistics provider, right? And um, it, it, it caught my attention. So there's this group, a company out in Europe called Vigo, F E uh, V E E G O Vigo. It's a free shipping platform um, and it's essentially gonna allow Amazon sellers the ability uh, to shop rates from all carriers. So it's not a full blown WMS, but you wanna get in there and shop and move your rates, uh, check rates. The two things there is number one, it's free. Number two, it's giving people access to carriers outside of the Amazon network. It also is going to integrate into eBay, Etsy, Shopify, which are all kind of rivals. If you look at a big picture of, of Amazon, so they're giving away free software that allows you access to other carriers that provide delivery services. And it's integrating into companies that basically are a marketplace exactly like Amazon. Um, so that gives me pause. Then they're going to be moving into, from what what I've uh, done my research on, is they are going to generate a WMS, a warehouse management system, and order picking software. Um, so it's empowering their uh, folks not only on on their marketplace to be more efficient at, at, at how they how they uh, they they move beyond that it's 450 million bucks. They invested into um, giving rate increases to their contract drivers, which is their delivery delivery platform. And then they have this thing called next mile, which is uh, essentially uh, academic access and online classes that if you're employed by one of those delivery service providers, you can better yourself through education and they will provide uh, stipends and and help you get that done. So um, I I don't know, you know, Pete, you and I talk about here's what's going on and this is why the forward lean that I'm trying to bring to this is that I, I don't understand why they're doing it. I, 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 I truly don't. And if our audience out there has some suggestions in this crazy day and age where e-commerce consumption is reducing, you saw uh, some of the numbers from FedEx last week, Um, related to what's going on. I don't understand why they're giving away free software to access their rivals, which dilute their share and market position. And they're providing um, an integrated software to get access to other marketplaces like eBay and Etsy. So I I haven't, I don't know, I can't figure it out. And I wanted to come to the program today, Pete, and the show and say, as crazy as it sounds, this is why it's happening. And I haven't been able to figure it out. And you know what? That's okay. We don't always have all the answers and we're very forthright about that. So I'm not really sure how to take or digest all the things I just mentioned about Amazon.
0: I was thinking about this before the show, bud. Here's my my kind of half-cocked take. You know, there's that great line that when you're not being charged for a service, the product is you. Yep. And I would imagine that if you have access to that information, and then you have access as the person who gave that customer entree into it as to who they picked and why and what they used, you're gathering an incredible amount of data. And as the largest platform on planet earth at this point, it's going to allow you insights into the behavior of not only your suppliers, but of their customers, as well as their purchasing strategies. And you know, Amazon has had some issues in the past where they were accused of gathering data in order to make an, uh, their own version of products, or in order to get um, you know in front of a high-selling product and make one of their own. This mm-hmm. is just another instance where, by uh, employing the access, in my opinion, you know, the transparent opportunity of that information, what they're allowed to do, what they're going to be able to do, is gather more information about the behaviors of their suppliers. In doing so, put them in a better position to create forward-looking products that are going to be more effective and probably have a, a bigger, stronger hold on them going forward. So yeah, in the short term, maybe they're opening up more um, competition. I would argue that Amazon may not believe they really have serious competition um but at the same time they're also gathering more and more important data that can be used to develop better products i'm with you though i'm not real comfortable getting people an opportunity to uh find alternatives to what i think is the most profitable outcome when i'm when i'm a company like amazon but there's got to be there's got to be a game to it somewhere and that's the only game i can think of buddy
1: yeah well that's very astute and you're right if you're if you're getting something for free you're probably the product but yeah it's just gives me pause man something's going on there amazon's a smart company it just yeah, yeah. gives me pause so anyway
0: a lot, sm- a lot smarter than me pal i mean yep. i you know they've probably got like a decade of thought to something like this and i you know you and i've been thinking about it for a couple days
1: so. yeah for sure all right man Well, you got some heavy gas and some fire on your topics today so let's let it rip
0: uh, speaking of gas so uh you know big big news we're recording this today it's september the 27th it is um 1323 Eastern Standard Time. and a huge, huge news news story that came out is that there was an explosion on the Nord Stream two gas pipeline. and Russia saying we don't know anything about it, but at the same time, the engineers that are engaged in this pipeline are saying that the likelihood of an explosion of this type is one every ten thousand years. It should it. Long story short, the Nord Stream Two pipeline now has a leak in the middle of the of the uh, of the tra- of the transit process, and it's it does not take much of a leap of faith to consider this was sabotage. To consider uh, to be what it really is is what the English and the Germans are calling it, which is a uh, legitimate terrorist attack on the pipeline in order to cause even more economic pain to the countries that are backing up. The uh the Ukrainian regime in their fight against Russia. So you have to look at this long game, right? Like why why continue to do this? Why continue to tighten it up even more, make it even uglier for them? And it's because these countries that are supporting them are allowing Ukraine to have some degree of success. And uh the biggest one being the United States. So what does this have to do with us? We don't we don't benefit, right, for, from the Nord Stream pipeline, but we do. Because this is going to limit even more the amount of natural gas coming to Europe or the likelihood it's going to come to Europe. Essentially, this is going to mean the United States and Canada are going to export even more of our natural gas. We have only so much of this stuff to go around. And if we are exporting more of it than usual, That creates scarcity in North America. And everybody that took macroeconomics 101, mine was with Dr. Shashi Kumar, one of my favorite professors ever. And he told us in our very first class, this is going to be nothing but 12 weeks of talking about how supply and demand make everyone's lives either great or awful. Mm -hmm. Okay? Demand will continue where it's always been. But the supply is coming from a place where demand is also continuing where it's always been but our supply is going to go down because we're exporting so much of it to support our strategic allies overseas. And that means the prices will go up. Like it or not, buddy, this puts pressure on us and makes people question whether or not we should continue to support Ukraine in their fight against the invaders. This was dastardly, scumbaggery, and I'm willing to bet you all of my favorite Saints jerseys that it was done on purpose. This was an intentional act of sabotage. And um, it's definitely going to get noticed. I just got back from Europe. Can't have a conversation without people talking to you about how winter is coming. I literally saw people stacking wood while I was in Germany Hmm. in their houses, preparing for winter and asked them, is this something you've always done? And they said, no, we've ordered as much as we can. We've gone to our family's homes um, and bought wherever we could to bring it back in. We're going to do everything we can to avoid using natural gas and electricity this year.
1: Yeah. Well, I love the fact that you brought this up because literally it's within hours, right? So the beauty about this is that Keenan will drop this this afternoon. No pressure, Keenan, And um, we'll be able to have some timely discussion. But the narrative has changed away from not Russia's invasion, but the ability for others to stave it off, right? And there's all kinds of news press about Putin's this, uh, he's worried about this, he's worried about that. So without question, this was intentional and they're hitting you know, the, the spot that it impacts the immediate consumers, but like you said, the macro piece of it. So yeah, it's interesting, man, it literally just happened. So we'll have to see how this shakes out, uh, but excellent topic and, and
0: agree with everything that you say. Yeah, it's ugly, man. But let's get on to something a little more, ha ha, happy, happy. Yes. It's time for halftime, uh, brought to you by our good friends at Cap Logistics. If you want to learn more about Cap Logistics? We um, we implore you, please do check out their website at caplogistics.com. They're the ones that make it possible for us to bring you this content every week to the thousands of you who take time out to watch it, listen to it. Um, continue to subscribe, please. Continue to tell your friends. And with that, Doug, what's topic number one for halftime?
1: Yeah, like you said, we're pivoting. So this is the infamous U.S. News and World Report best colleges that dropped this fall. Every year it happens. It talks about just exactly what that is, the best colleges. It caught my yes. attention because you and I both have kids that are in college, right? So uh, it's, re- it's relevant to me, it's relevant to you, and um, you dive in deeper. So a couple of fun statistics, or maybe not fun, but, but interesting, that 19 of the top 20 schools on the list cost 55 grand or more oh, wow. per, per year to attend right um, I don't think that's coincidental uh, SAT and, a- and ACT scores are becoming more and more irrelevant you're seeing a lot of a lot of schools that are taking it as optional you can always take it but it's becoming optional most of that was due to, to covid um, um, that's something that they talked about in the report. Alumni donations in Diving Deeper are a big factor, right? And you look at the largest endowments uh, of private institutions. I bet of the 19 of the top 20 I just mentioned, I bet 15 of those 19 have endowments that are astronomical in size and that factors in. And then this is something I didn't know. 20% of the score is what they kind of defer as the popularity contest where they ask other academics, right, to... Qualify in an academic environment their peers. So it's basically saying hey, what do you think of Harvard? Hey, what do you think of? uh, of, uh, of Yale or Princeton and um, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy and then here's the one that caught my attention Pete is that Columbia Was just recently called to the carpet about outdated. I'm using air quotes here outdated and incorrect uh, Methodologies in submitting their data which is a very uh, PC way of saying that we haven't been telling you the truth. And over that uh, period of time, they went from the eight, number 18 on on the report, up to as as high as number two just last year. So the whole thing's a farce. It gets a lot of uh, a lot of press, but you know, the, the bottom line is that yeah, I guess it's interesting to know, but. The whole idea of the traditional four-year college, and this is a whole nother show, Pete, because you and I both have kids that are in the trenches involved with this, uh, is just going through a paradigm shift like nobody's business. So my point here is I wanted to bring it up and, um, and just the absurdity of it, and, um, and that's about it. So here's the top five, Princeton, MIT, Harvard your alma mater, Stanford and Yale. And I have to give a shout out to my University of Kansas Jayhawks, where we came in as number 121, Um, but we still have the best basketball team in the country. So anyway, I'm done. That's it.
0: Well, if if only having the best basketball team helped you to become employed once you graduated with a degree in engineering. Um, Here's my quick take, Doug, because you know this topic makes me crazy. The number, I just checked it to make sure the the number four school for best bang for the buck in America is Maine Maritime Academy. Number three, Kings Point. Number five, Mass Maritime Academy. Number six, Texas A&M Maritime Academy. And number nine, New York Maritime Academy. Hmm. If you're not going to school to graduate immediately with skills, it's a waste of your time. According to this report, the average graduating salary for a student who graduates from Maritime Academy is $126,000 a year. That's the average. Um, what is the point? I have two kids in college right now. One goes to MIT. She wants to be a software programmer. She's brilliant. Um, The other is basically a professional rugby player. There's no other way to put it. Go Golden Flyers. Big game this weekend. Uh, But, you know, when you're going to play a sport, just like you said with Kansas, a lot of the decisions that you're making are based on the coach, the visibility to national and professional programs, and your chance to play against highest competition. should be the same for academics. Are you getting the best possible bang for your buck with these professors? I don't know that you are anymore, pal. I don't, I don't, Harvard is nothing but marketing. It's a complete waste of your time. There is nothing going on there other than making relationships you can't get anyplace else. If it's about meeting important people and building relationships, good for you. But people are always impressed about where I went to college, they're not so impressed with what I learned. Everything important I know about global trade. Everything I know—that's about international relations—I learned through doing. Mm-hmm. And ours is a business of learning by doing. I'll tell you this: one thing they don't teach you how to do at Harvard, and that's sell air freight. So, <laughs> don't get me started, baby. Uh,
1: All right. What my halftime for?
0: this week uh, had to do with my trip to Europe, man. So, I got out of my, uh, you know, my cab at, on the Champs de Loize, and uh, and I was about to walk across, and there was a bike path there, and I almost—Doug, when I tell you that. I don't know how fast this guy was going on his e-scooter, but there's a, there's a good, I mean, there's a physics question here about whether or not this 170 pound French dude, if he hit me doing about 30, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm 265 pounds right now. If he would have hit me, I don't know who would have won that physics competition. Me or him. Mm because he came barreling up this bike path that I admittedly did not realize was it was a bike path right and I was in the way it was my fault and he came to a screeching skidding stop in front of me words were exchanged some things may have been said about our our you know shared ethnic values um but it was not the first time through the course of my trip in Europe that I saw everywhere everywhere E-bikes, e-scooters, every time you would go into Uber to try to go somewhere, the Lime scooters, the bikes, they would pop up there. People taking the rental bikes, you know, you can throw in a couple of euro and you can use a bike for the distance you want to go and then they charge you through and Mm something. The embracing that people have taken there to using this as a means of transportation is until you see it, you won't get it. I've been in Boston, I've been in New York, I've been in LA, I've been in Chicago, blah, 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 blah. It's nothing like it is in Europe. I watched an old lady in Germany on one of these lime scooters, blasting past me when I was in Stuttgart. And on her back, she had all of her groceries. She had to be in her 70s, Doug, just going right past me like it was an F1 race. And she was hanging on it like Tony Hawk on a skateboard. She was ready to rock and roll. This was not her first rodeo. If it's any indication of what we're going to see in this country, that business, that whole platform of business is going to overtake so much. We have all these kids who can't drive, but want to learn how to drive, living in cities, and we don't have the kind of infrastructure they do, buses and subways and light rails. This is going to go somewhere. These, these electric bikes and these electric scooters are going to go somewhere. Unless you live in like Chicago or Minneapolis and winter comes, and then, well, you might want to buy yourself a pickup. But I was blown away, Doug. It was everywhere. And I I don't know why I was so surprised, but it really did get my attention.
1: I think the key thing that you, uh, well, two things. Number one is the infrastructure by far and away is, um, you know, is set up more. And the other thing is that most people that may not know this who don't have kids in in this area, but kids don't want to drive. When you and I were growing up, I mean, if I could get my learner's permit at 15, I had it at 15 years in one day. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Kids now yeah. just don't have an interest in driving. And so, but then you still need mobile and they want to get around. And they want to do their thing. And you don't need a license to jump on a scooter. So I think that demographic is going to be, but the challenge is the infrastructure is different. So talk about Tony Hawk, you got to know how to maneuver and where the hell you're going in these big cities. Um, but I think those two things combined are going to make mm-hmm. that, uh, that industry continue to grow.
0: Yeah, Doug, Doug, you bring up a great point. The number of times I almost saw somebody, just bite it because they clearly were not, they weren't used to riding one. Just like I'm sure if I jumped on one, I'd look like an idiot. But you know, there are people who probably should not have been whizzing through the streets at that point um, that were just, they were an accident waiting to happen. So I think the law will eventually catch up to these things, but yeah, it was fascinating. For
1: sure. All right, man. So my topic too is related to the chip act chips, plural, creative, I love acronyms that the government comes up with because somebody back there is just cranking out oh, yeah. stuff that oh. they're trying to spin it so it has some relevance to what they're talking about. Here's CHIPS, Creative Helpful Incentives to Produce Semiconductors. Now, the the normal uh, acronym guy must have been out to launch or on vacation because that's pretty weak. But anyway, the, the gist of it is it's federal aid to inc- encourage construction. Of micro uh, microprocessor manufacturing facilities, right? So, ninety-three, or excuse me, thirty-nine forty billion dollars in subsidies and tax incentives to build. Um, and the one piece that's interesting here is that if if you do get those subsidies and tax incentives, if there is a ban, so if your company that builds a plant in Arizona, New Mexico, Ohio, and Texas seem to be some pretty popular states. So you lay down the ground, you take advantage of the uh, the incentives and the subsidies, is that you have a ban uh, from producing chips that are more advanced than 28 nanometers in China or in Russia. So I Googled, what the hell is a nanometer? I still don't understand that. But I said, what does a nanometer do for me as a consumer? And those are the microprocessor chips that deal with phones and automobiles and electronics and entertainment and kind of the Internet of things. So most of the things that you and I would interact with. So 28 nanometers and less you can still make in China and Russia. Anything more powerful um, you cannot. So um, here's the deal. And I always try to have a forward lean peak as we talk about that. Number one, you don't just build a microprocessing plant like next month. Right, and So this stuff is years out. This is not a short term fix. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad that they're doing it in these in the states that I had mentioned, but this isn't a fix. It's going to happen you know, anytime soon. The other thing is that um, um, the plan consists of government liaisons that help facilitate uh, the process. So that means you got a government guy going into Austin, Texas to try to facilitate Local and state regulations. So it sounds good, but I don't know what a government liaison is going to do to expedite anything and Really don't you think so this is the last piece on this one? Pete is don't you think everybody in the entire world is aware of a chip shortage? And if you already have a plant and is already making chips, why don't you just amplify that and run these things 24 hours a day amp up the, uh, the, the labor facility capacity Um, long-term contracts to make sure you can uh, keep things in play. So I love it. I think it's a great idea. Um, It's not a quick fix and everybody's aware of the shortage. And so those that are already making it are going to come up with some creative ideas to turn the jets on and help um, uh, flood the market and take care of those that need to consume. So there's my uh, take on the CHIPS Act that just rolled out.
0: So my, my first response, buddy, Is oh, I got some feedback there. My first response, buddy, is um, you know that there's some junior staffer who they for the next 20 years. In my in my in my my version of this, it's a guy who went to like Clemson, and his dad who owns like 11 car dealerships got him a job working for the senator, right? Um, And he's gonna be like in every party. Well, you know, I'm the one that came up with the acronym for the Chips Act. Yeah, you know, there, there's that guy, right? Or or that that young staffer, it's a man or a woman or whatever in between. But you know, there's a there's a person who's going to get free drinks, and that is going to be their interesting topic of conversation for the next twenty years. Mm. Oh, uh, this is my friend, whatever. This is my friend Sierra, and he's the one that came up with the concept of the Chips Act. The idea of it? No, no, no. Simply the name. <laughs> yes, he spent an entire weekend on making sure that it's it meant chips. As he put it together, they I mean, just sitting looking all smug and showing sure himself. Yes, actually, that was me. So happy you brought that up. I'd love to talk to you about my process for getting there. And then you know, they 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 call this guy up whenever they come up with another one. Uh, you probably parlay that into a six figure uh, consultant job. But I am I, um, I love this act for all the reasons that are diametrically opposed to who I am as a free trader. <laughs> what we're basically saying is. We're going to build them here using the federal money. And if you dare ship this stuff overseas, we will burn you to the ground. We will economically destroy you, right? Like there's, there's this antithema sort of concept that we're being kind of Chinese, buddy, where, where we're saying like we're going to support this. We're going to help you with this. But damn it, this is for America and for the people we care about um, and, and to make sure that, that we, we don't have to depend on China. Well, why stop at chips, man? Why stop at chips? We've got a whole list of crap that we need to not depend. Like shipbuilding, as a great example, okay. But as far as ramping up everything, you know, I I don't know, and I honestly don't know Doug, but I, from what I understand, getting the raw materials to make chips isn't exactly easy either. And um, you know, we we do have access to that, so it's just a question of. Can they make them quick enough? Do they have access to raw materials, you know, quick enough to get there? One way or the other, a time will come soon when the market will be flooded with chips and we're going to ask ourselves, was doing this really necessary? Because we're making a crap ton more and we're selling them and you can only buy them from certain producers. I just, I just see this being economically, you know, regrettable somewhere down the road. But we should be putting all this money into looking for a type of semiconductor that is not chip based. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah.
1: Excellent points. All right. Bring us on my man. What you got?
0: Yeah. So this topic sucks. Um, This should be like when we do halftime and you talk about something super positive and I'm like, and now everyone's going to die. The WTO came out with a recent statement today, as a matter of fact, saying, Hey, everyone, not sure if you've noticed, but we believe that there's going to be a global recession. It's Like thanks, Captain. Obvious, you know. And none of us realized that. And the other half of this was it's going to be worse than we ever thought. So rather than a four point seven percent growth, I think four point six that they were that they're expecting to do the same three. So that is a huge drawdown. That is normally these guys talk in terms of like a quarter or a half percent. But to go that big is pretty damn big, man. And they said that it was going to affect mostly developing economies. So not the kind of economies that you know we we normally talk about on the show, not the China's, the Western Europe's, the, the USMCAs of the world, but more the sub-Saharan Africa, the um parts of the Middle East, certainly, you know, the less financially stable parts of Asia and um, you know, to a degree Africa. So why do we care so much? I I try very hard to explain to people the complexities of economics in a way that they can understand. It. So here's, here's the headline, more people, significantly more people are going to die because of the economic conditions that our response to the pandemic caused than the pandemic. And I can, I can hear people's heads blowing up all over the internet right now while I say that, but here's the fact of the matter. Um, I'm looking at the stats right now, buddy. The um, for every thousand people in in the world, you had roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of one that passed away from COVID over a span of 24 months, and that number now is drastically decreasing. So, so deaths from COVID, although people get COVID, it makes them sick and it takes down our, our ability to be productive. Um, but more importantly, you know, the it didn't really affect child mortality. Okay, um, Two economists you might want to take some time to read about, put out a report, um, not too long, Doran Hoffman, and they put it very simply. 0. 0.8, let me get the number right here because I don't want to misquote them, 0. 0.826 people per thousand globally will die because of this recession. So for every thousand people, eight point eight two six people, so you know, less than a person will die. So you're like, well, that's less than one Pete. Eh. This global recession is going to last for five to eight years, and it's going to affect the developing economies worse than it's going to affect the developed economy. So although Western Europe Asia and the United States may recover in 24 months. It could take as much as six to eight years for parts of Africa, Latin America, and Asia to recover from what just happened from COVID. It's called the bullwhip effect. The really scary number is that for every thousand, we increase child mortality by four. So four more children are going to die per thousand because of this recession. And these are, by the way, conservative numbers. And those numbers spike In developing economies, so that's a global number. The response to the COVID pandemic and what we did to our global economy to shut it down and then not restart it very quickly is going to kill significantly more people than COVID itself did. Now, I can also wrap in unemployment numbers, right? So, you know, you you have a lot of a lot of people don't realize this, but you have thousands of people who die. Forty thousand people for every um, increase of one point of our unemployment in this country. And that along with um, access to people being sick, reductions in productivity, that's a Western economy. Can you imagine what that's going to mean to developing economies that are not going to see any type of stability, that are already facing famine, that are already facing problems with food um, uh, insecurity? The pictures that are coming back right now from Ethiopia, that are coming back from um, all, all over Africa right now are heartbreaking. It's not gonna get any better. And when we're worried about paying our own rent and with gas prices rising and natural gas prices rising, keep our own family warm, I I shudder to think about what AIDS is going to look like going to those countries. Doug, we have a very dark couple of years ahead of us dealing with the financial ramifications of what we did to keep our economies running during COVID. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be appropriate if you weren't, uh, weren't wearing a black hat and a black T-shirt with that kind of messaging. Pete, <clears throat> it seems to happen frequently. But um, a couple things. One is I think the roaring 20s are over, right? We, we hype that, especially myself, um, when everything came out of uh, post-pandemic. Is uh, I think we're seeing things from your first topic to this topic, to other uh, recessionary uh, discussions that we've had. I, I would say the roaring 20s are coming to an abrupt halt. Right? Um, yes. The second piece is kind of goes to your macroeconomics comment um, uh, uh, earlier, is that it's a first world and a third world problem, right? Until the third world numbers and implications that you described affect the first world, it's not going to get the press. It's not going to get the needed uh, assistance uh, that um, it, it needs. And so it's, it'll be there. I, I truly believe. I, I love the fact that you said 24 months for first world type of countries, and then you reference, you know 45, six years. Unfortunately, in my opinion, that if unless it's directly impacting us and there's some type of macro effect <laughs> to what I'm doing on my day-to-day basis, it's not really going to matter. And I think that is a horrible statement that I just made. But part of what we do here, Pete, is tell about the truth. And that's my personal opinion. It doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. That's just my interpretation of what you just said. And it's horrifying that I just made that comment.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the two of us have always been a little bit on the side of all you is love on on this show, you know. And I think if I could say anything, it's as the world begins to ask for help we need to all do what we can to help. We all need to reach out in whatever ways that we can, either through our time or our treasure to help people in need. I just think it's going to be a lot of people in need. But I put a statistic up today on LinkedIn. The single largest asset class on planet earth is the Chinese real estate market. Far surpasses the US stock market. Far surpasses it. So, and um, they're in a 40% decline over last year as far as the number of sales, new home builds, all of it. And they're saying that the next year is going to be even worse. Nobody's talking about that. What's that going to mean for the massive population of China that is not involved in high technology, middle-class growth? China is still a relatively poor country. And these are the sorts of things that are going to affect that part of its culture and that part of its economy and will have a trickle-down effect on the rest of their economy and their ability to be productive. I don't think we realize how fortunate we are here. And those of us that are fortunate have a responsibility to people who are not to do everything they can in their power to be helpful. You can disagree with me, but that's just how I feel personally. So although it was a doomsday kind of conversation today, Don, I think it gives us all an opportunity to pause and think about what we can do, remembering how scary those times were to help people are in scary times of their own.
1: Agreed. I love your time and treasure. If more people would donate their time... That's where the personal connection is treasure is you just uh, write a check and hope the problem goes away. So I love the fact that you ended with that. Um, And that Mm -hmm. is the end of this week's edition of Global Trade This Week. As Pete mentioned a couple of times, (laughs) CAP Logistics uh, is the group and Keenan, part of the CAP family, makes this thing happen. We get off the rails time and again and we have personal opinions, which I thank CAP Logistics for letting us uh, uh, say and and talk to our audience about. So caplogistics.com, Check them out for your logistics supply chain needs. Pete, that's it, my man. Uh, great show. Appreciate it. I'm glad we're back in session and um, have an excellent week.
0: Thanks, buddy. I'll see you guys next week. Take care, everyone.